Welcome to the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast, the world's first podcast about medical laser therapy for healthcare providers. Each week, we discuss the latest research, interviews with experts, and how laser therapy can enhance your practice. Now, here is the founder of LTI and your host, Dr. Jason Roundtree. Hey, welcome back to the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast. My name is Dr. Jason Roundtree. I'll be your host today, and we are going to be discussing bone healing, bone regeneration, graft osseointegration, and a whole bunch of other bone-related topics today, specifically how to speed up fracture healing and how to deal with problematic bone issues. We're going to be referencing a July 2017 review from Photomedicine and Laser Surgery titled The Effect of Low-Level Laser Therapy on Bone Regeneration During Osseointegration and Bone Graft. This is a total of 19 articles that met the inclusion criteria that, uh, that they reviewed. Uh, a large number of these were focused on animal studies and dental studies, but I feel like the results really do apply well in a clinical setting. Now, of course, most bone issues and fractures do heal just fine on their own. A uh, quote from the article says, although bone has a regenerative capacity, this capacity is limited if there's mechanical instability, deficient blood supply, or competition with highly proliferative tissues. So, of course, that makes sense, right? That's why we put patients into uh, stabilizing boots and braces and casts when they have a fracture. Uh, as long as we have good approximation at the fracture site, then generally you can expect to see pretty rapid, pretty complete healing of, of fractures, bone can regenerate quite well. But if you have a factor that reduces blood flow to that site, or there is some level of actual instability, the patient doesn't get into the right level of casting, or they have a fracture that can't be immobilized, then you end up with failure to heal. You end up with non-union fractures and so forth. Also, competition with highly proliferative tissue, proliferative tissue like scar tissue. So when you're dealing with open compound fractures that can be very uh, traumatic, if you end up with too much scar tissue formation, it can actually interrupt the process of bone reintegration. So in terms of problematic healing, I'd like to run through a few major categories today. Non-union fractures, small bone fractures, and flat bone fractures. Uh, osteoporotic fractures, bone graft integration, uh, infections, and then prosthesis integration also. Those are all potentially problematic events that can happen with otherwise normal healing processes. So in a non-union fracture, uh, oftentimes you're looking at decreased blood flow due to scar tissue and nerve damage that can really reduce the bone's ability to approximate and stay approximated and then actually make those integration connections from one bone to the other across that fracture site. You can also see this with decreased cellular signaling. So uh, if we've got an autoimmune or a, or a depressed immune function situation, then in many cases it can be very difficult to get those uh, non-union fractures to heal and come back together. The other thing that can happen there is like we read just a minute ago mechanical instability so if we've got a fractured clavicle or a rib fracture or a toe and there's not insufficient uh, rest there's not sufficient stability being provided then there are many times where 
those fractures just never come back together. I've seen a lot of these in practice, especially in the clavicle. Um, it's just it's a problematic area. You can also see these in flat bone fractures like in the skull, in the pelvis. Oh, that's a little more unusual generally. Now, going to those small and flat bone fractures, most of the time with those, there's not really any specific treatment that can be done. Yeah, finger splint or taping the toes together or just getting the patient with that rib fracture to take it easy for a few weeks is about all you can do. So you kind of have to wait and watch and hope that it heals up well. Um, some medications can be given for pain, but generally the patient's going to be pretty unhappy for a while, and um, hopefully most of the time those, those do heal up, but really there's not much you can do for it. With osteoporosis-related fractures, uh, you're looking at many times a complex fracture, not that nice clean break, but many times bone fragments in there. Uh, these are frequently difficult to heal because they are slow to ossify, right? They're, you're already having calcification problems and bone density issues within the body. So now if you introduce a fracture, it can take quite a while for that to heal back. And when it does, hopefully it's strong enough, but still we're dealing with some density issues already. So we have a few factors working against us when we talk about osteoporotic fractures actually healing up. Bone grafts. Bone grafts are a good bit different because you're looking at a foreign piece of bone trying to integrate with existing bone in an area that typically has undergone significant trauma, oftentimes scarring, scar tissues, decreased blood flow, and if you have any level of immune dysfunction, it can be, well, very difficult to get those bone pieces to osseointegrate. If that doesn't happen, then the bone graft will fail, and it'll typically have to be taken back out, and then the patient loses whatever effect you were going for there, whether that was providing more bone for tooth anchoring or providing healthy bone in that non-union fracture environment. So, of course, we're going to talk about laser in this podcast and how it can apply to these difficult-to-heal bone conditions. And this is an ideal time for me to read you a few quotes from the article about how laser works. So the article states that wavelengths usually in the range of 600 to 700 nanometers and from 780 to 1100 nanometers. A wavelength range between 700 and 780 nanometers has been found to be ineffective as it coincides with a trough in the absorption spectrum of cytochrome C oxidase, which is one of our major absorbers of light in the cell. They say, moreover, red and near-infrared wavelengths are chosen because the penetration through tissue is maximal in this range due to lower scattering and absorption by tissue chromophores. That means you can get more light in deeper in that, in that especially near-infrared wavelength. Most of the deepest penetrating light is around the 800 nanometer wavelength and then up around the 1060-ish, uh, 1064 is a very common wavelength for therapy. Both of those wavelengths get in there pretty deep. That's not to say that no other wavelengths are useful, just those are the couple that can get in the deepest. And if we're talking about bone injuries, we definitely have to get into the bone. If we're looking at hip fractures especially, you need something that can get in deep. More superficial, say a fibula, a rib, clavicle, uh, even the skull, really doesn't need as much of that deep penetrating, but that can still be very useful. Now, the article goes on to say, look, a primary effect 
of laser is restricted to photon absorption. Photons emitted from the laser reach the mitochondria of cells, are absorbed by chromophores, and are finally converted into chemical energy in the cells. A cascade of signals between mitochondria, nucleus, and oxidative metabolism leads to an increase in adenosine triphosphate production, causing pain relief and wound healing. That's a direct effect. A secondary effect, they go on to say, is the result of photonic stimulation, amplifying the primary effect and increasing calcium production. A tertiary effect is systemic and occurs at a distance from the stimulus. Thus, laser energy applied to one lesion can stimulate the healing of both the treated lesion and other lesions at a distant location. Now, if you do laser therapy in your practice, you've probably seen this. You have a patient come in with a low back problem. They complain about that. Distant second is maybe the knee or the shoulder. You start working on that low back, and as it gets better, that knee or shoulder problem also gets better. Or they've noticed uh, a whole bunch of seemingly unrelated changes systemically where systemic inflammation reduces, they start sleeping better, mood regulation improves. There's, there's a whole host of different effects that can be seen. We've seen it all the way through uh, improvement in blood pressure regulation, heart rate, even better regulation of sugars in diabetic patients. So now that's that tertiary effect that even if you're not trying for that, that's something to watch for. And that's something to even question your patients about if you're doing laser therapy. You know, anything else they've noticed, not just the area you're treating, but anything else systemically that they may have seen. If you're using LTI protocols, you've definitely seen this because LTI protocols include systemic treatments for most conditions, having a good systemic effect on the immune system uh, and the way the body handles healing in general is overall a huge benefit to getting a condition to actually resolve. The article goes on to say that photobiomodulation, or laser therapy, increases the mitochondrial membrane potential, increases the level of adenosine triphosphate, CAMP and ROS, a reactive oxygen species, and also increases the availability of electrons for the reduction of molecular oxygen in the catalytic center of cytochrome C oxidase. Now, Obviously, if you can stimulate improvements in cellular energy, secondary and tertiary effects on not only that area, that region, but also systemic, you're going to have improvements in healing. And that's, that's the whole idea here, is that you're stimulating that natural healing mechanism. You can't expect laser to perform miracles in destabilized bone fractures. So you still have to do everything else right. But in those situations where the patient is diabetic and they're slow to heal, in situations where there's not really any way to immobilize the bone, if we're talking about a uh, clavicle, a rib, a toe, uh, the pelvis, then laser can be a fantastic option for trying to improve the speed at which people heal. Rib fractures. I would guess if you've been in practice for any length of time, you've probably dealt with people with rib fractures. They're very painful. How long, does that, how long does that go on? Where they're in pain? Usually six to eight weeks, right? Uh, a lot of times to the point where every breath is painful for at least the first month. Uh, coughing and sneezing, laughing, all that is, is really unpleasant for a while. And it will get better in general as long as you don't have rib displacement. It's going to improve, but it's pretty miserable. Well, what we've seen in practice is you can use laser to take that time period of pain from eight weeks down to about two weeks. 
generally, sometimes even a little bit faster than that, which is a huge improvement for patients. Really, like three, four, five treatments and patients are feeling 75, 90% better. It's a massive improvement in how well they recover, how quickly they recover from things you know that are painful like rib fractures. And the same holds true for other bones too, just rib fractures are the most common one that we see. Now there is one quote in here that I'll read you from the article that I don't necessarily agree with 100%. Let me read it to you. It says, studies suggest that the biological effects of laser energy and LED, or light-emitting diode energy, are the same when the proper, or excuse me, when the wavelength is properly chosen. So saying that laser and LED uh, have the same biological effects. Now, I've got to say, there are studies that do show that, especially uh, in vitro, where you have cells in a dish. When you have the complexities of a body, especially a larger body, not small animals like mice and rabbits, but human-sized bodies, when laser has been compared to LED in some studies, it does outperform LED. And the reason, we think, is because you have collimated light that's all traveling the same direction, so you get some better level of penetration, again, with the right wavelength, to some of those deeper tissues, which a big piece of this is getting the dosage, the therapeutic dose, to the right depth. Now, if you have a very shallow depth that you need, like wound healing, is there really any difference? There probably isn't much difference, assuming you get all the other parameters correct. But laser in a clinical environment is going to give you more options for especially these deep tissue conditions. Generally, the medical lasers you will get also are more reliably predictable. So you can perform the same treatment over and over again, get the same type of output. You have more options for being able to pulse the light, different methods that you run it and is just in generally generally a better fit for a clinical environment. As far as a patient having a light therapy unit at home to use, that's where LEDs really do well because they're eye safe in general. They're eye safe. They're not uh, something where the patient has to be worried about eye injury uh, or overdose, and they're much, much cheaper. But if you're looking at, at using light in a clinical environment, that's where you really want to lean into the actual lasers. You're going to have more options for your patients. As far as class 3 versus class 4 laser, this paper doesn't really uh, apply to that. They do say in the conclusions that uh, high dose combined with low power or a low dose combined with high power appears to produce positive effects on bone issues, whereas a high dose combined with high power may have an inhibitory effect, may actually slow down healing. And that's where you run into some people that will say, well, class 4 laser is high dose and high power. Well, it is, it is high power, but you can still deliver a low dose beneficial treatment because you can deliver that dose quickly in a short period of time, and it can be the exact same dosage as what a class 3 laser delivers, just much shorter time. So again, when you're looking at clinical lasers, you want laser, and in many cases, you're, you're going to want to have a class 4 laser because you don't want to spend a half an hour doing treatments that could be done in five minutes with a higher power device. Again, dosage is, is really the same. It's not any different for a high power laser versus a low power laser. If you have questions on that, exactly what that means, shoot me an email 
info at lasertherapyinstitute.org. I'll be happy to go back and forth with a little bit on that and make sure I can explain it uh, in depth if you really want to know more. Um, dosage is one of those things that is a little bit complicated. But to get back to the article, uh, last couple of conclusions here say, look, laser therapy increases cellular metabolism. We know that's going to be beneficial for any healing process, but in bones especially, can be very useful. They also say that photonic or light energy is transmitted to the nucleus, resulting in DNA and RNA synth synthesis, which causes protein synthesis. This will lead to bone neoformation and resorption, which will increase osseointegration. All good things for bone grafts, um, making sure that the prosthesis involved in uh, knee replacements, for example, do get osseointegrated, do become solid in the bone. That, that's all very critical in terms of good clinical outcomes for things like joint replacement surgeries, bone grafts in the jaw, and, and even these difficult to stabilize fractures in the ribs, the clavicle, the toe, the foot, and then even the non-union fractures for patients who have difficulty healing. If you see fractures in your office, if you see uh, patients that are having a difficult time with healing, especially in your diabetic patients, definitely would encourage you to look into laser therapy for your clinic. If you have questions about how to get started in that, what kind of equipment you need to get, what type of techniques should be used, how many treatments, how often, all those questions are answered in Laser Therapy Institute protocols. So give us a shout and we will be able to help you out with that. Hope to talk to you next week. Subscribe now to keep learning about the growing field of laser therapy. Check out our patient-focused podcast, Healing at the Speed of Light, a great resource for your patients. For massive practice growth and improved patient outcomes, become a certified Laser Therapy Institute clinic. Learn how at lasertherapyinstitute.org.